another Pro Football Doc podcast. This one's going to be fun for me, a distinct honor, the special guest today, someone who I was a fan of uh, growing up, uh, you know, an NFL 80s all-decade player, um, linebacker for the New York Giants, uh, Carl Banks. Welcome to the Pro Football Doc podcast, and I appreciate your coming on. Doc, I really appreciate you having me, man, because I have so many questions that, you know, some of the Giant fans are asking me that I can't answer for them. And I'm (laughs) glad I'm able to get you or to be on your show so that I can get you to answer these things. Well, I'm happy to. And, you know, one of the things is, look, the scrubs are not a prop. They're real. And I took off my mask because this is, you know, coming from surgery, et cetera, not related to the pandemic. And so I am still, I hope, a better orthopedic surgeon than I am a media personality or someone conducting interviews. So feel free if you want to ask me questions. Uh, I mean, to me, this is just a uh, a, a conversation uh, in terms of uh, what's uh, what's going on. So I'm good with any of it, Carl. I appreciate you. Awesome. I see how active you are in social media and other things and still with uh, football. I mean, uh, tell me your latest take on all this as obviously an old school guy, the OTA controversy, et cetera, which I guess is kind of ending because most people have shown up in OTAs. Yeah, I just thought the, um, well, let me just, let me just say this. I'm an old school guy with new school sensitivities. I am, I am, you know, very in tune with, with the evolution of the game and how it's practiced and things of that nature. So um, I'm good with some of the things, but I, I thought it was, it was rather reckless for the um, head of the uh, Players Association to come out and say that he thought it was in players' best interest not to show up for voluntary camp, um, which, you know, for the upper 5% of the league, they'll do whatever they want. And if they get injured, the team will take care of them. But these younger guys who are marginal players who are looking at three to five years max as a career, they're trying to max out their money. Plus, those are the kids that want to be in the building as much as possible, letting the coaches see, hey, I'm here, I'm working out, because they just drafted a guy to replace him or to possibly replace him. So these lower-level guys, they have to be there. So when you're advising kids to leave the building um, and then they go out and get hurt, and then you see in the case of the, uh, the kid in Denver, he got cut, Well, it was a $10 million hit for him. That probably would have been a tougher decision uh, if the kid made it to camp. But, you know, he's a, you know, a marginal guy and making a lot of money. Well, he was trying to show that these these coaches that, hey, I want to be here. I want to make this money, but I want to contribute. So getting hurt made it easy for them to say, okay, bye-bye. Yeah, especially with the new GM, right? That wasn't the guy who signed him. And that, that's the one thing I always say, Carl, whether, and you make the great point, and the main point is a one-size-fits-all solution is never the way to go. I mean, people often ask me, should you uh, have more practice as you have less practice? Depends on the situation. 
Some young guys need to practice. Some old guys like to practice. Some guys don't need to practice. Like it's a it's an individual situation to say that even in the middle of a season, should we go with pads today or not or whatever? Different answers for the 53 guys in terms of what yeah. it is. And so to blanketly say, don't show up, it just doesn't make sense to me. And one of the things, Carl, I've always said, and I think this is where hopefully you you see it too like it's different i mean look a different scheme may suit you suit the coach well may not suit you as well or certain schemes you love more it's not blanket and look lt not the san diego chargers lt but the original lt there's some things that might have been better for lt and worse for you and better for you and worse for lt depending on the circumstance right Mm -hmm. and um you can't just say blanket. This is the way that we go, and that's and that's the same for me in terms of injuries, and that's why I say what I do is insider knowledge, not insider information. I'm not calling Ronnie Barnes, your longtime head athletic trainer, and Ronnie was there when you were there, and say Ronnie, tell me what's going on. I'm not calling the doctors to say tell me what's going on. They wouldn't tell me. They would say get out of here. This is confidential and it's HIPAA. But what I'm doing is looking at the video and saying, okay, this knee injury on this player is different than the same injury on another player right. in terms of the degree and reading between the lines and how it affects somebody. And that's where the insider knowledge part comes in. It's not cookie cutter, grade two MCL, that's four weeks. Oh, this is a straight yeah. line runner. He's probably okay. This is a lineman. This is his outside plant leg. Uh, this is a bigger problem. And and the severity based on video. So I agree with you 100%. There just isn't one answer for everybody. And I think you're right to say, for the union to say it should be one answer, probably missed the mark. Well, they missed the mark. And then I see, I, I'm reading where in Philadelphia, they negotiated no mandatory minicamps. So I'm kind of like, you know, there are certain jobs in this, this certain occupations where practice is necessary, right? <laughs> if you were just finishing med school and you hadn't done a residency anywhere, I don't think they're letting you cut open a knee. You know, <laughs> you, you've got to have some type, some level of experience before. So when you have these rookies and you already have an abbreviated um, preseason, uh, you've got, you know, limits on what they can do. So it's a whole new world for young young players. So now you have no mini camp, no mandatory mini camp, and then training camps that are just going to be watered down. And you wonder why certain players don't develop, right? Because once you get into the season, they've mandated how much you can practice. It's no longer we can develop a guy because we can work a little bit after practice with him. It's no more of that. But then you see, you know, a guy like Sam Darnold, who doesn't work out in New York, well, he's never had a really had a chance to develop, right? So you throw him in the fire, you expect a microwave pro bowler, and it never happens. So I just think, you know, they've got a mod, they've got to, they've got to kind of readjust their thinking on how players are being developed and what it takes to develop them. And again, I'm not saying go be the kid in the ground, but you, you, we've got to be, we got to know that we've moved past the era of coaches that are just run them and grind them in the ground. These are all new school coaches. They all understand it. They just, 
lot of these guys are fresh out of college, right? Uh, if not, a lot of their staff is. So you know you're not going to have the old reputation of like a Frank Cush, you know, or Bud Grant, who's just, you know, it's it's different. But you've got you've to gotta allow coaches to develop players without fear that the collective is going to make a phone call and say, look, they're violating because they kept the offensive lineman out on the field for 30 minutes after practice. Well, he needed it. Well, you guys could benefit from this guy being a better football player, but, you know, coaches' hands are tied and, you know, you have a union who's just, you know, I'm I'm not sure. I, I, I know they care about players and I know they want the best for players, but they don't necessarily work in the best interest of players when they have these blanket policies. Well, one thing that always amazed me, and I'm sure you'll agree, and this is for fans and people listening. If you take the, quote, four major sports, football, basketball, baseball, and hockey that we play here, okay? Football is the sport where I believe, having covered all four at some level of the professional level, look, I've done way more more football than I have basketball and hockey, but I work some with the Bulls. I work some with the Cubs, with the Timberwolves, with the Twins, with the Wild, et cetera. So I know it a little bit, but think about this. And, I, and this is for fans. Football is the one sport that probably, because it's big behemoth guys get labeled dumb jocks, but it is absolutely, in my opinion, the most cerebral sport out there. Mm-hmm. Look, if you can shoot a ball, look, to be Michael Jordan, you have to be athletic, great, and smart, right? But if all you can do is shoot a ball, you're still make it in the league. If all you can do is skate or stick handle, you'll make it in the NHL. If you can just hit a ball and you don't know what's coming, but you can great hands and turn your hips on the ball and hit it out, you'll still be like, now you may not hit like Tony Gwynn, but you'll still, there's a place for you. Sure. But in the NFL, Look, if you can't stay on sides, if you don't know your gap responsibility, you don't know when the shift of the play happens, where you go, you can't be on the field. Uh, And that's just on the defensive side, much less the offensive side. Mm -hmm. I've had one player tell me, and I won't even say what school he was at, but he was a linebacker. And three years in the league, he said something to me. He goes, man, I'm still learning. This is so difficult. In college, and I won't say the name of the school because you might be able to identify him. He goes, they just told me to get the ball. I mean, yeah. all I did was get the ball. If the quarterback yeah. had it, I got the quarterback. I just was taught to get the ball. And his athleticism was so good, he got drafted fairly high in the NFL. But when he got to the NFL, you just can't do that uh, kind of situation. Well, no, you can't because the other guys get paid too and other coaches get paid to game plan against you. And you know, depending on what conference you're in in college, you're going to be, you know, if you're an SEC player, you're going to get great coaching. If you're in some of the, the, the lower level conferences, you're playing two coverages and, you know, everything is simplified. So when you get to the league, it's, it's speculative, but it, it also, they have to speculate on your mental capacity to, to, to grow and to learn how to play pro football once they determine that you have 
the athleticism. So it's it's it is a very nuanced sport, and I would venture to say it is the most complex. And then, you know, I've had this. Uh, some people argue me as it relates to the off season, and they say, well, football is the only sport, the only professional sport that has an off season. Well, I don't know if there's another sport that you can't go out and pick up a ball and shoot it by yourself or hit off a pitching machine or, you know, hit a tennis ball up against the wall. There are so many things about football where you almost need to have organized practices because if you don't, you're not really getting ready to play football. You know, that's the intricacy of football. So that's the reason why there is an offseason um, to whatever level they're going to, you know, uh, fix this thing. But you do need an offseason in a sport like football. And I was teasing a kid on, um, on, on, on social media. I said, heck, you, to be good at Madden, you even got to practice. You know, it's just like, you know, if you want to go be good in basketball and you want to go work on something, what are you going to work on? You want to shoot? You want to dribble? You can do it. Pick up a ball and do it, right? Um, you can't do that in football. You know, you can't run routes against cover two in its air. You know, you can't beat man coverage if no there's no man coverage there, right? You can't work on your shifts in motion if you're a quarterback in the timing of a route if you have no one to throw to. So it's just, it, it's there's a reason why there's an offseason for football. Well, that, that, that certainly absolutely uh, makes sense, right? Because it's not a sport that you can do yeah. alone. So what's your feeling on preseason games and perhaps the now 17-game schedule? Um, I, I don't have a problem with the three preseason games. Uh, in fact, I don't have a problem with the 17-game schedule as long as they can increase the roster size is really what it comes down to. If you can put the right amount of personnel on a roster on game day or throughout the season, I think you can manage a 17-game season. Um, but if you, you have limited rosters, it'll start to wear on some guys, I think. If not physically, mentally, and then once it hits you mentally, then physically you're going to you probably start to dec decline a bit. Yeah, I would have... Uh preferred um an 18 week season with mm -hmm. 16 games instead of 17 but two buys one in the first half one in the second half you still get 18 weeks of football right the giants yeah. don't play would only play 16 weeks but you still get 18 weeks of football the way sure. it's agnostic and everyone watches all games now and it also would allow you not to have short rest games like you yeah. play coming off a bye after 11 days and then you get 10 days before your next game. And a lot of times, you know, a team that gets a bye in week four says, holy smokes, we don't have a bye the rest of the way. Or a team that's itching to get a bye, but they don't have it till week 12 or 13 right. or something. It's a long ways out. And, uh, you know, TV's how the money's made. So you'd have an extra slate of games an extra Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football. Heck, you could even throw in a Wednesday night football if you wanted, right? If if uh, yeah. if you wanted. So, but I don't think 17 games is horrible. But yeah, it's it's one more exposure. But to your other point about practice, I forgot to say this. The stats show this year, and we'll talk about it in part two of the Pro Football Doc 
podcast. Part one is the guest to interview you. You're welcome to stay for part two, but I respect your time. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about how injuries, especially at the start of the season, regular season, increased. And there's such a thing as acclimation injury. Like until you get used to football, there are some things that are more likely to happen. So the injuries that got pushed out of the preseason because there were no preseason games got pushed into the first few weeks of the regular season. And that's what you speak to. You can't mimic football. Very, very difficult. All right. Uh, how else has the game changed? And where would you have today, giving your skill set, done better? And where would it have been harder for you based on how the game has changed? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, the game is, in my opinion, easier. People say, well, it's a passing league and, you know, you have to be more athletic. You have to be, you know, I think I would be more of a hybrid player, uh, just given my skill set. Um, but I don't, I don't know if there's a lot that I would have to change about the game or that I would be ill-equipped to change. You know, I heard Ronnie Lott, uh, talk about this once when people say, well, you know, Ronnie, you can play in today's game because, you know, some of the hits that you used to put on people um, would be outlawed. He says, you're assuming I'm not smart enough to make <laughs> the adjustments, right? Um, and that, I, you know, I can hear Ronnie's voice saying those words <laughs> very calmly. Yeah, so, yes. yeah, so it's it's that's kind of how I understood the game and, and see the thing about it too, Doc, is I learned the game fundamentally at a very early age. So I was fortunate enough to fear tackling with my head down or tackling head first um, because I had from age eight, a coach that would spend half a practice showing us how to get in proper position to tackle. So I missed the ESPN big hit era, right? So all I knew was good, sound, fundamental tackles and fearing that I would break my neck if I tried to tackle with my head down, you know, seeing the target. Um, and then the rest just became fundamental football. I don't think that's ever going to change in the NFL. Uh, the good fundamental players and the good fundamental teams still do the best in, in the league. Um, I don't know... Um, where I would have to change where I was not capable of. Um, I was an every down player uh, because Belichick had us so interchangeable that we could do, you know, we had to do everybody's position. So um, I would probably have my hand in the dirt probably a little more yeah. now. Um, but I think that's, that's pretty much it because, you know, I was, I was an all state basketball player, played a little bit at Michigan state, you know, in the JV before they dismantled it. So I, I was, I'm totally athletic enough to play in today's game um, and probably more multidimensional. Um, I, but the one thing that I think you can answer uh, about how the game has changed since I played, right. Um, the evolution of not only surgeries in return to play, but the evolution of the therapies, if you will, or the rehab, because, you know, if you even go from um, 
let's say Gail Sayers to Adrian Peterson, right? Um, Adrian Peterson gets a total knee and he comes back and he plays tremendous, right? And back in the 70s, there just wasn't the knowledge, if you will, or right. the know-how, right? Yeah, and, and, and here's what I've often said. Back in the 70s, and certainly 60s, I mean, Joe Namath had an ACL tear like Adrian Peterson. But at the time, we didn't know really what it was, right? Uh, they put a brace on. It was called a trick knee. It was a knee sprain. Everything was a knee sprain. Kind of like, Carl, today, we call everything a concussion, and we call it the same. Well, that's like just saying it's a knee sprain. Eventually, and with MRIs for knees, ACLs, PCLs, partials, meniscus, we learned all these things. Heck, as you know, we used to cut out meniscus and think they were like an appendix and they're not needed. Yeah. Now we know that we get arthritis when that happens. We're in that infancy when it comes to head injuries because let's say you get a momentary hit and you see stars for two seconds, but you're fine. That's called a concussion. You get knocked out and are conscious for five minutes and a pseudo seizure, and we call that a concussion right? And so ultimately, we're going to get to an era where there's a grade 2B temporal lobe concussion and it's treated this way, and a grade 3C occipital concussion, and this is what you need to avoid, or this is, and, and these maybe are the ones that are more linked to CTE and you have to wait longer, or, or really what is CTE, right? We're in our infancy. There's way more we don't know about concussions than we do know. I feel like it's the 1960s and 70s when it comes to knees, Right. And so we're going to get better with that. So there's no question it has come a long way. So here's one I, I have to ask you. So if we take Adrian Peterson and you say no two knee injuries are the same, but giant fans are asking, so what are expectations for Saquon Barkley? Like he's, you know, he's rehabbing, but you know, Great. his knee injury, his style of play. You know, he's a certain burst type of guy, quick change of direction, and fans want to know, so what's what's the expectation there? Adrian Peterson came back and had a great year. Can you expect the same thing for a guy like uh, Saquon Barkley? Great, and thank you for asking. I was going to turn the floor over to you for the end to be, to, to be fair. And for the listeners here, this is our first time actually chatting and meeting and uh by your quote, I really appreciate because you obviously follow the the stuff that I said on Twitter and wise, and I follow what you said. No two injuries are, are the same. And what happens is in the media, it's labeled an ACL, but it's an ACL plus what? Plus nothing is different than plus something or plus a lot. And that's what I don't fully know about a, a Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley, however, I believe, if I remember correctly in the hit, and in game, during the game, and I don't like being the bearer of bad news, I was tweeting in, in at profootballdoc.com saying, I even did a video saying, this is why, this is the replay. I think he's done for the year and he's towards ACL, and I believe, and MCL. The good news is the MCL does heal. The question is, how much meniscus, how much articular cartilage damage he does or does not have. And there's no way for me to know that. But I can tell you right now, here's what he has going for him. The MCL usually heals without surgery, so it's not as big a deal. It was an early season injury, so he's got a longer runway to come back. His videos have looked very good so far that I've seen on social media. 
Although those are just snippets and you can't tell completely. And of course, he is a beast, right? And if you're the, I'll give you an analogy, another New York giant. And I said this at the time, Jason Pierre-Paul with the unfortunate fireworks in, in accident. If you're the first or second or top player on the 53, you still will have a career. If you're the 53rd guy and that happens to you, you're gone. That same year, I forget his name, there was a defensive back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who had something also with his hand related to fireworks. And he's a DB and he's out of the league. Does it affect JPP? I said, he's going to come back. And because this is the grip, you know, and, and he's lost some right. of the, the grip, it's still going to help him. But he would be even better, and obviously he's the Super Bowl champion now, the whole deal again and the whole deal. But because he's that good, even if he's now here, he's going to be fine. And I think that's right. Saquon Barkley, right? I mean, if you're Saquon Barkley, you're here. And, okay, even if you lose a little bit, and fans should bear with him, he's, he had an earlier injury. He might Statistically, you have a slower start, and then you work yourself back into it. You know, people come back quickly, but it's really a year, year and a half before you say you've forgotten about it, right? And you're not doing anything different. So look for him to get to be there week one, to be great because he is just that great, but to be even better the second half of the season is what I see. And so far, I'm relatively optimistic for those reasons. But the other thing is you got to remember, as an offensive player, yes, he's reacting to the defense, but for the most part, you're able to dictate the action more so than if you were a linebacker, more so than if you were a DB. So that helps him also some based on the position and what it is. I'm not saying he's a robot. He's going to make this cut no matter what, but he has more choices to make. Whereas you as a defender just have to instantaneously react. And that's what makes it harder as you come back. So with all that, I think I'm relatively optimistic. Uh, in, I, this will be my second year playing fantasy, I think. And if he drops <laughs> and people think he's bad, I'll take him. <laughs> so the, the other one that I had really quick for you is I want you to talk about like how far we've come in the last, let's say, 10 years with Achilles injuries, because I'm looking at Kevin Durant, right? And, you know, there's, you know, there, I've seen different levels of people return from Achilles and it seems like each and every year you start to see a higher level of return to play, the explosion coming back and things of that nature. Can you talk about just how far we've come with just what we're doing with Achilles? Look, I love these questions and, you know, uh, look at, look at, I love how you flipped the script on me, which I love. And, and look, if, if you ever want to come on with you, I'm more than happy to return the favor. And, uh, and I'll, it's a lot, a lot of things to talk about here. And uh, for the Achilles, look, I, I was confident that Kevin Durant would return to himself. Right. And that's another example of, he's just so good and dominant mm -hmm. that he's going to, get back there is he 100 himself or is he 98 hard to say he's just that good that he's doing very well and i said at the time that if i were a team i would sign him max contract him the whole deal mm -hmm. and sometimes we're prisoners of the moment whether 
just because Adrian Peterson had a great recovery, all ACL should, or just because Kobe Bryant's career basically fizzled out because of an Achilles, they all will. Well, Kobe was at the end of his career. As he came back, he got another knee injury. It wasn't just the Achilles, et cetera. But my better example all along was Dominic Wilkins, uh, who came back uh, from his Achilles. And yes, rehab is better and the whole deal. But in terms of the big changes, Carl, what I see is this. As players get bigger, faster, stronger, we're seeing more knee and ankle and Achilles injuries. Because as the tree grows bigger, stronger, there's more wind and force, the roots are the same. You're planting a bigger tree, a bigger plant in the mm. same size pot, right? And you want shoes that stick and cut and make you cut on a dime, which generate force. And I know there's been some controversy about the, 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 the stadium in New York, MetLife Stadium in the turf. Mm. Well, players want that good footing. But that's like a ski racer cranking the binding super tight, whereas mine, I want them kind of loose because I don't want to hurt my knee. So when you have great footing, you make great plays, but if it goes south, you can get hurt. So as players get bigger, faster, stronger, shoe wears, surfaces, you see more. Now I look at it, uh, I've been saying this a lot, the dreaded A's, both of them, ACL and Achilles, both surgery, both season enders, right? And yeah. I can't keep up on ACLs. And here's the thing. In your prime, your ACL and Achilles was not much bigger or is the same size as it is for you today. And mm. my ACL and Achilles is not that far off from LTs. You know, I mean, because mm -hmm. you, you get bigger, faster, stronger, but that ACL rope and that Achilles rope is about the same size. And uh. literally... It's the muscle force that tears it. See, when you get older, when you're 50, uh, you know, it's weakness in the tendon that tears the Achilles. When you tear it, when you're in your 20s, it's the immediate strength and the quick fire eccentric load of strong muscles that tears it. Mm -hmm. It's a muscle that's too strong, not a tendon that's too weak. So there are differences in how that works. Oh, wow. And so, so on the muscle part, because we also see like coming from an ACL surgery or a knee surgery or an Achilles surgery, part of that return to play, guys end up with some type of like hamstring or calf soreness, or they miss time because there's some soreness in those two areas. Is that because the load is readjusting? Yeah, well, I mean, injuries beget injuries, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when, when there are some ways around it, the blood flow restriction therapy is a good way to help out what's going on. But, you know, when you're protecting the Achilles, you're not working your calf. And then the left side of your body, the right side of the body weaker, the left side of your body is weaker, the right side overcompensates, and maybe you get something else. So there's all sorts of injury cascade that can happen. We're better at it now than in the past. And also in the second part of the podcast today, switching sports, but everyone knows Tommy John surgery, right? I have a picture where it's the anniversary of Tommy John surgery and he was put in a cast after surgery. Nobody does that today. You start early range of motion type things. Mm. So that's part of the evolution of what happens in medicine. 
And look, one day down the road, I'll look back and say, really? I did that when I was in the NFL? That's silly, right? I mean, that's part of the evolution of, uh, of what happens. Um, you know, great conversation here. I, you know, I told you 15, 20 minutes, we're on 30. So hopefully you're not mad at me. I didn't even get to my other questions, like give me your best Belichick story or your best LT story, right? As some, some fun things. Uh, if you want to hit those now, or we'll come back another time or, or, uh, what have you, uh, tell me what your time frame is. Well, I got a few more minutes, but, um, right. the, the Belichick stories are, are, are they're not really great stories like he's he's you know he's a he's a fan of rock and roll music which a lot of people don't realize is given his demeanor but uh just one of the greatest teachers in the game and um you know his his big challenge to players especially for a guy like uh Lawrence or myself or Leonard Marshall you know when it's he wants something more from us. He'll, you know, he'll be in a film room and he'll say, you know, I would expect a guy with your skill and ability that you could make this play over and over again. And it's just kind of like, it's something that he's going to ask us to do outlandish that he hasn't sprung on us yet. So he always greets the skids by saying, you know, Lawrence, a guy with your skill and ability, I mean, there's not a lot you can't do. So here's what we're going to have you do. You know, or, or and it, it could be the craziest thing. And you're looking at it like, okay, we'll go do it then. But that, I mean, he was so good at challenging and getting the best out of, out of his players. But, you know, you mentioned that um, when we were talking about practice, how with LT, certain things could be different for him than it is for me, right? Well, I can attest 100% that things were different for me than the way he saw them. He was a guy, Doc, when I tell you he saw the game differently and you've been around really gifted players and when you see it, you know, you're like, wow, this guy is, he's seeing it differently than everyone else. And so case in point, you know, Lawrence is famous for his nightlife and I, he gives me permission to tell this story. It's, it's kind of funny, but on, uh, on a Friday, we're installing our pass rush for the Washington uh, Redskins at that time, the Washington football team. And so Thursday night, Lawrence is out all night. He doesn't get in until after lunch, you know, into our meetings. And as soon as he comes in, we're in our pass rush meeting. And he's literally under a table with sunglasses on sleep. And so we're in this meeting for probably 30, 40 minutes. And the, our defensive line coach, He's running film, he stops the film, he draws some stuff up, and he's just trying to figure out what our pass rush is going to be against Washington. And so we're back and forth with this for like, I would say 30, 45 minutes. And then it just, he just had enough because Lawrence has not participated. He is sleeping dead out, right? And so he stops everything, cuts the lights on, and he says, God damn it, Lawrence you would think that you would at least wake up for the pass rush part of this, this meeting, right? And so Lawrence sits up, he takes his glasses and he's like, what are you talking about, right? So he cuts, he says, cut the film on. Lawrence looked at two plays, literally. It took probably three minutes of film. He says, cut the film off. He gets up, cuts the lights on, 
goes to the whiteboard, draws up our pass rush and tells us why and, and, and how it affects everybody on the defense, right? And he did it and he looks at the coach and the coach is like, and I've been here an hour trying to figure this out. And he literally drew up our pass rush game plan for that game. And he's looking at the coach. He says, can I go back to sleep now? <laughs> he just cut the lights off. He started the room burst out laughing. But we were all trying to figure out how we were going to pass rush the Washington offensive line. And he literally saw two plays or just a random two plays. And he says, Joe Jacoby is this. We have to do this. Um, Bostic is this. We have to do. I mean, Mark May is this. Yeah. And he just drew it up. He drew up like five different pass rushes for each situation. And it was like, wow, this guy sees it differently. Okay. So my follow-up question is when Lawrence Taylor said that, can I go back to sleep now? What did the coach say? He didn't say anything. Lawrence got the <laughs> lights off and he went back to sleep. But the other, the other thing about that too, uh, is gifted as he was the one thing that really uh, no one really knows about him is that he practiced extremely hard. So whenever it was time for the defense to practice, he pretty much practiced at game speed. Like whatever it took, once he got on the practice field, he practiced as hard as he played. And that was probably the one thing people didn't know about. They thought it, you know, everything came easy, which it did, but he really applied it um, in practice. He, he really worked hard at it. All right. Well, Carl, thank you so much. So please let me return the favor sometime. We're going to take a quick break, Pro Football Doc podcast, before we go through our pro potpourri and video stuff. I appreciate the over 30 minutes uh, start. Hold. All right, I'm ready to go. Good to go on this end, so whenever you'd like to. All right. All right, welcome back to part two of the Pro Football Doc podcast. I hope you had fun. I had fun talking to Carl Banks. It was my first time. He asked some intelligent questions, and we could have gone longer. Uh, fun second segment here, though. We're going to talk about Tiger versus Phil. Uh, we're going to talk about some golf. We're going to talk about some baseball, some basketball, uh, what happened here, film, et cetera, and cover a lot of ground. And of course, some uh, football here, uh, injury rates, bunch of things as we get started here. The first thing that we're going to talk about here a little bit is Tiger versus Phil. Phil Mickelson fellow San Diegan, won the PGA Championship, a major, the oldest player ever to wear to win a major. He's eligible for the senior tour. And I talk about in this video, but we'll talk a little more here today. At YouTube as well, go to YouTube and uh, find the video from, from uh, Pro Football Doc and subscribe 
and we'll have some new features for you. Uh, uh, regular videos throughout the week, you can call them mini podcasts, et cetera. But someone who qualifies to be a member of AARP won a major with a lot of great athletes. So does this reopen the question of skill versus sport for golf? And here's what I would say. It clearly takes both, right? But if, I, if you turn back to pre-Tiger, golf was often classified with bowling or darts, et cetera, in some ways. It's more of a skill. Older people can play it. It's not really a sport as in athletes. And I think Tiger Woods put an end to all that right? Because he was fit and in such great shape. And look at all the young players on the tour now, for, not just uh, Bison uh, uh, DeChambeau and all, all the guys are fit, right? It's a new era. And yes, Phil has gotten himself back into great shape, but he's still 50, almost 51. And he wanted all. So I think what this shows is you need to be athletic it is a sport, but it's also a considerable skill. Let's think about this. Darts, the oldest champion ever is 52. Bowling, the oldest champion ever is 57, right? And because of that, people have said, well, see, clearly that's more skilled in sport because 50-year-olds. But now we have a 50-year-old, almost 51-year-old winning a major. And... It almost clearly, that's why I say Tiger versus Phil. Tiger has taken it to be a sport and Phil has reproven that a lot of skill is involved and hats off to Phil. I'm happy for him. I'm not denigrating his accomplishment here. It is amazing. And how amazing would it be if he could win the US Open coming up here in San Diego? You think it's nuts on the 18th fairway uh, at the PGA Championships. If that happens in San Diego, that would be crazy. So love to see it. But my point is, and, and let's look at football. I get it. Tom Brady was 43. Um, the game of football is clearly a sport. And Tom Brady is athletic, but he's certainly in the very bottom tier of athletes at quarterback across today's NFL. Yet he's the GOAT. So it's his skill and his mind it takes him over the edge as a 43-year-old. He's in the bottom 10th percentile of athleticism and speed for quarterbacks in the NFL today, yet he's great. So uh, no question, football is a sport. And look, I don't have the skill or athleticism to be a good golfer, right? I mean, uh, the joke is you don't want your surgeon to be too good at golf. Don't worry about that. You're fine, everybody. I'm not a great golfer. I don't have the skill or the athleticism. It takes both, but I just think it's interesting. It puts a new emphasis on the skill portion and the mental portion with Phil Mickelson, almost age 51, winning it, winning it all. All right, and then um, let's keep going here a little bit. Um, oops, sorry, guys. Um, this was an interesting stat I saw from an ESPN research analyst. Pre-COVID, the age of the champions, Mahomes, 24, Kawhi Leonard, 27, 
Colin Morikawa, 23. Post-COVID or COVID, Tom Brady, 43, LeBron James, 35, Phil Mickelson, 50. Coincidence, maybe, or who knows what's responsible, but I thought this was an interesting uh, tidbit here. Moving on, uh, I tweeted something earlier uh, in this week. I hope everyone realizes it's in fun. Uh, I don't have an ax to grind on any of this. Uh, if there's an ALM, it's uh, American Lives Matter. You know, I mean, all lives matter. You know, and I'm, I'm good with all, any, any form of it. I thought this was interesting, Eugene Chung uh, claiming that he wasn't the right minority. And I was just making a joke out of nothing more minority than an Asian in the NFL. Look, in the NFL, the running joke, players would ask me all the time, is Norm Chow related to you? Well, Norm Chow's name is the coach, is spelled C-H-O-W, I'm C-H-A-O. I used to say, yeah, he's my uncle, and people would believe me, and we'd laugh about it. And, you know, when we had a, a, a safety, Lloyd Lee, uh, on the Chargers, we used to bond and laugh about it. I mean, it was just a fraternity. There weren't a lot of Asians in the NFL. And uh, although uh, I think uh, the Colts analytics guys are both Asian, but, you know, I, I just make a joke of this. So if anyone... I uh, thought it was being a big deal here. I wasn't. I was just having a little bit, poking a little bit of uh, fun here. Let's go in and talk a little bit about football. There's some news again this week. Uh, Dak Prescott says he's ready to go and playing in a game. He said it again, and he wouldn't think about his leg. That's good that he wouldn't think about his leg, but we covered it last week here on the podcast. He's not 100%, but I do believe he will get close to 100% by the start of the season. The video I've seen of Dak, he's not necessarily fully mobile yet, but I do believe that he will get there. Here's the injury segment I was talking about with uh, Carl Banks. This is ACL tears over the last eight seasons. Total tears, which 2020 is a little bit down, but in season, a regular season tears, 33, higher by a little bit. This is what I'm saying, that it's my belief some of the acclimation injuries, and ACLs can be acclimation injuries, got shifted into the regular season. So some of these 33, let's say five or 10, really would have happened in the preseason, and that would have brought this number down to 28 or 23 and been more in line. So you don't necessarily get rid of the injuries or all injuries by not playing a preseason game. You certainly can argue the regular season got injuries, ACL tears are in the 53, and some of the preseason ones would be guys in the 90, 53 to 90, so to speak. So there are differences, but that's probably one of the pandemic outcomes and analysis in terms of injuries. Um, as we keep marching through, I'm San Diego biased. The Padres have the best record in Major League Baseball. Does anyone remember that Tatis is going to ultimately need shoulder surgery? It's amazing what he's doing. He's hitting 786 over the last four games with 12 RBIs and walk three times. Amazing, Fernando Tatis. Uh, my son is... Uh, Definitely, uh, he's made an all-star team. He's eight years old. His coach isn't so good, <laughs> dad. 
but he's got the Tatis socks and the whole deal. And uh, between Phil and Tatis, it's uh, pretty good out in San Diego right now in terms of uh, sports. All right, um, some more baseball. You have to talk baseball. You want to talk Mike Trout. I mean, his calf injury, uh, I think he's going to be gone for close to the 60 days. It's the Shohei Otani show now for the Angels. I think he's the MVP now, not Mike Trout, because Mike Trout is going to be out of it because he's going to be two months here, I think, at least from a calf strain where he has felt a pop. And uh, uh, so too bad for Mike Trout, the perennial all-star and perennial MVP, top of the MVP race, but not this year. All right, more baseball here. This is uh, Tommy John. Happy 78th birthday to Tommy John. I'll tell you my Tommy John story here. I had a kid not that long ago come into my office, pitcher, and said, yeah, I think you're going to need the dreaded Tommy John surgery. And he said, Doc, I like you. I respect you. I know you do all these athletes, but should I have Dr. John do the surgery? I'm like, Dr. John? Yeah, he goes, Dr. Tommy John, the, the, the guy that the surgeon that invented the surgery that was named after. I'm like, no, he's a baseball player. And then I realized that I'm so old that this kid, he's in his 20s. He wasn't alive to see Tommy John pitch, right? I mean, it was so long ago. But in any case, my point to Carl Banks is look at this. He's put in this big old hard cast. Right, continuing with a little bit of basketball. This is uh, Chris Paul and his injury, shoulder injury for the Suns as they play the Lakers. Gets his arm tangled up and then some friendly fire. Grabs at his shoulder. It looks to me, certainly it's more than a shoulder contusion than the Suns are saying. I think he's got... Hopefully he did not. There's worry that he subluxed his shoulder. He came back and played through, was in and out of the game, wasn't himself. Chris Paul's tough. He's going to finish the series, I think. But hopefully he does not have a labral tear. Uh, it didn't look like it was a stinger to me based on the lack of the way his head went. It would be more of a nerve issue than a stinger, a, a disc issue. I don't think it's that. But uh, hopefully he can continue to play and soldier through. And let's wind up here with a couple of videos. What happened here videos. This one, get a little bit gruesome here, guys. So uh, look away if uh, you want here. This one, a hockey player. See him at the bottom get hit right there. There's a replay coming up here. Let me show that to you again, the bottom of the screen. Captain, he gets hit, and then he gets kneed in the head by the defend, by the player coming by. He's clearly posturing there. He clearly has a head injury. Thankfully, it's not much more, um, and it didn't look like it, but it certainly looks scary. I got a lot of comments of the athletic trainer doing the right thing. Look. When you're concussed, you don't really know where you are. He's not choking him there. He's trying to use his hand as a neck collar. And I'm positive he's telling him stay down, but the player is, you know, confused 
from his concussion and tried to get up. And uh, here's another look at the hit. The hit, he's now off balance and watch the player's knee. He gets kneed in the head. And that's what causes all the issues and problems. And he's out on the ice right there. But the medical staff did the right thing. Yes, you're not supposed to move someone. You're supposed to keep them down. But they were trying to. And you see it right there where he gets hit inadvertently by the skater passing by. In any case, uh, I think the athletic trainers did what they could. Uh, and the medical personnel, it just uh, wasn't, uh, look, he's trying to calm him down but he's obviously confused. He's telling him to stay down, but he just wants to get up. I've been there before where the player doesn't, inherently doesn't want to listen and he's supporting his neck and doing the right thing. And the final video here of what happened here, uh, look away if you're squeamish. This has happened a few times recently in baseball. We talked about last week, Bryce Harper getting lucky. Here, not so lucky. I don't think it was the helmet. Kevin Pillar was square on the bridge of the nose. Coming out of the nose of Kevin Pillar. Struck flush by that pitch. And forces in a run, but well, concern for Pillar. Obviously, but if you look again and it looked away, if you don't want to see it, here it is again. And you can see how the ball ricochets off immediately and thus it was a direct blow unlike Bryce Harper where it tipped the helmet came down and came down at an angle and that's why Bryce Harper escaped without real injury Kevin Pillar took it like a champion look the best case scenario happened you know broken bones are happening but since he got hit slush in the nose black eyes nasal fractures all that stuff but no orbital fracture, no zygomatic arch fracture, et cetera. So as horrific as that looked, uh, it was the best case scenario for Kevin Pillar in terms of what happened there. And, uh, you know, should, should people wear full face? I don't know. Is there something with the ball and control of the ball? I don't know. Do people have substances on the ball? I don't know. The bottom line is there's been an unfortunate rash of players being hit in the head recently and hopefully it stops there anyways uh thanks for watching here go to youtube uh, part one and part two are always on youtube subscribe so you get the notifications and get things a little bit easier and uh, we'll pump out some more content besides pro football doc podcast on outkick and youtube but the video segments on youtube as well special thanks to carl banks pleasure to get to talk to him and thanks to you for following along and watching uh, have a good week and uh, we'll see you next week on the Pro Football Doc Podcast.